Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Let's go to this week's message in our series about Noah. Couple of things before we get into the message. Uh, the first one we just saw about at the movies that starts next week and takes us into the July Fourth holiday. This is something we've been doing for a couple years. So first of all, if this is new to you and sounds unspiritual, give it a chance first. Uh, we actually had more people get saved during Star Wars Rogue One last year than the whole month prior. So uh, trust me, God can move through uh, amazing things. Second of all. This is an incredible opportunity for you with some friend or family member. If you've ever tried to invite somebody to church and their response has been, yeah, that's just not for me. I'm just not, church just isn't, that kind of, any kind of response like that, this is the time to bring them. You let them know that we're doing a movie, we've got popcorn and soda, and uh, they'll, they'll just have to check that out. It'll be exciting, so there you go. Uh, let's see, second thing to remind us of today is First Step Part 2, the final part of our new version of First Step, because it's only two weeks long. You don't have to do them in order. That means you could start today if you're new to Grace Life. Uh, Those of you that did last week, hope to see you back today after the third service for lunch. And then the final thing, bum, 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 there you go. Come on, everybody say eight. Eight is the number of Sundays you should come to this building. Isn't that exciting? Come on, there you go. Eight Sundays left in this building. Nine Sundays from now, we will be there. So two things to tell you about. Uh, first of all, we still need to continue giving. We still need to continue giving. Got uh, a need of about 250000 You know, when you do a, an old building and it's about a $4 million project, at some point somebody's going to cut into concrete and find out something's there that wasn't supposed to be there and some pipe has to be changed. And Anyway, so just stuff is a little bit over budget. And in light of a $4 million project, that's actually about 5%. And that's, that's pretty good is what I've heard from a bunch of people when I saw that number got scared. Most people tell me that's a, that's a good thing. So anyway, there you go. That's where we are. So between now and August, we need about 250000 So pray about that, and there you go. Last thing, Wednesday, August 8th, huge celebration. As we move into the new building, we're going to bring all three services together for worship. We're going to have pastors from uh, as far away as Texas and lots of other places coming to just celebrate with us and, and be glad for what God is doing through Grace Life and here in Columbia. So want to uh, let you know to come out. It's going to be a good time. Here's the deal. About 5.30, we'll open the doors and we will start serving food. For those of you that work a little later, don't worry. We will be serving all the way up until we start worship at 7 o'clock. We'll begin a great time of worship and it's just going to be a blast. So put that on your calendars and don't forget, that's a Wednesday. Wednesday, August 8th. And so that's not our first Sunday morning. Our first Sunday morning is Sunday, August 12th, nine weeks from today. So there you go. That's all you need to know about that. But I'll tell you what, man, it's been, it's been a long time coming. Come on, some of you know what I've been talking about. Yeah. We started talking about this in 2012. Isn't that amazing? The goodness of God. All right, well, there you go. So, hey, glad to have you guys with us. We are wrapping up a series on Noah today, part four, final part. And uh, so we started a few weeks ago, and part one was all about how Noah walked with God, found favor with God, even though nobody else on the planet did. And, and we were left with the question, would you be known as someone who walks with God? We came back for part two, and we talked about how Noah did something that was ridiculous. 
ridiculously stupid, at least foolish in the eyes of the world. Why would you build this really big boat big enough for all these animals in a, in, in just in the middle of the woods, basically, or wherever he was? And uh, so the, the idea was God will sometimes call us to foolish obedience. It's foolish in the eyes of the world, but makes perfect sense in God's plan. And so we were left with the question, what might be the foolish obedience that God is calling you to? You know, for every one of us, there's something that God's saying, I want you to do this, and it makes no sense to anybody but God. And then in part three, we talked about how Noah uh, had a huge impact that went way beyond himself. He, he did something that actually changed the course of human history, to be honest. And so the question we were left with was, what impact might your life have on others? Not just for you. Sometimes we get a little selfish in our following God. Well, you know, I want God to bless me, so I'm going to do this. But do we ever stop and think, my decisions today, the impact of my life might have more bearing on my children than even on me or my grandchildren or my neighbor or my coworkers or whomever. So, you know, for most people, the series on Noah would be done. Most pastors would not go to part four we're going to today. Uh, the truth is the last scene in Noah's story is, well, it's a little strange. And it's not something a lot of people usually want to talk about. I am sure this is something that if Noah could go back when the Bible's being written, sit down and talk to the editors, he'd say, I'll buy you lunch if you cut this part of the story. I mean, this was not his best moment, not something that he's proud of. But this is really important for us to get because all throughout this series, what we've been doing is putting Noah up on a pedestal. And honestly, we do that with everybody because we want to look at the godly things they do, the amazing things we do, they do, and we want to say, let's be like them. I mean, Noah walked with God. Let's walk with God. Noah found favor with God. Noah did something incredible. I mean, Noah, 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 Noah. We can do it with Abraham, Peter, Paul, anybody. It doesn't matter who we're talking about. And at some point, you can just say, yeah, I just can't get there. I just can't be that good. And so what we need to know today that Noah's going to help us with, is that even godly people mess up. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Even godly people mess up. And maybe you can relate. I'm sure you can, actually, because, well, you're human. And there's probably something in your life that you did. It could have been yesterday, and it could have been five or ten years ago, or even further back, that you're still ashamed in front of God. And it's affected your relationship, maybe even stayed away from church, maybe you don't read your Bible or, or whatever it is, just because you, you really don't want to get that close. Maybe you're still ashamed about something you've, you've done in front of other people, and you don't want to be around those people. Maybe you've even lost or broken relationships just because of how ashamed you were, and they knew your story. And it was for no other reason. You know, I, I'm sad to say, I've got a story in my own life. When I was in college, if you've ever heard any of my stories, you know in college, it was like a spiritual revival for me. I, was, I knew what God had called me to do. I was incredibly active in my faith, and uh, anybody who knew me knew that I, I, was, I was a real Christian. I mean, can I say it that way? You know, because in college, sometimes you only, you only go to church when you go home for the weekend to see mama, and mama makes you go to church, that kind of thing. I mean, no, I, I, was, I was active in my faith. I, I was really involved in growing closer to God, but even though I wanted to be godly and I thought I was being pretty godly, um, I got involved in a relationship with someone who was an atheist. Bad idea. Teenagers, are you listening to me? Don't 
do that. All right, anyway, because, you know, the problem is when you have one set of goals, you're going to have a, a path to get there. When somebody's got a completely different set of goals, they got a different path, and so their boundaries are nothing like your boundaries. And, well, as sad as I could be, that relationship went somewhere that I, I didn't want it to go. And I, I wished I could take it back, but, well, I couldn't. And no matter how much regret there was, I couldn't undo. And I had friends of mine because we were in some circles where some friends of mine at, at church knew about our relationship, and so I was ashamed to go to church. I was ashamed in front of God, and, you know, it just became a part of my story that, honestly, I really wish wasn't there. The truth is, I think every single one of us wishes we were perfect, but we're not. And that's why we are going to do this final part of Noah's story because this, I think, can really help us as we look at our own lives and figure out, well, sometimes we just don't get it all right. It doesn't go the way that we wish we would it had gone because, well, even godly people mess up. So here we are. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 9, verse 20. So at this point, Noah uh, heard from God. He did what God said. He built the ark. The flood came. The flood is gone. What's next for Noah? I mean, come on. That's a pretty big story, right? That's kind of like, you know, George Washington. What do you do after the revolution and, 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 and becoming the first president? Yeah, I don't really know what he did in his retirement. I'm sure there's not a whole lot said about it. But here's what Noah did. It says, Noah began to be a man of the soil. I can understand that. I mean, when you don't even see soil for over a year, you got to be like, yeah, I'm going to be a farmer. Farmer sounds good. Boat guy, that, that was boring. So Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Cabernet Sauvignon. Sounds like a pretty good idea there. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Naked Noah, everybody, there you go. Seriously, this is not his finest hour. I know that he would have preferred it not make the story, but it did. And I just want you to think about Noah's frame of mind. I mean, Noah was just walking along one day, and God says, I want you to build an ark. I mean, whoa, God speaks to me. God's talking to me. And, and, and out of everybody here, God found favor with me. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's, wow. And then I build the ark, and God saves me, and God loves me. And, and then God, you know, promises this new covenant that he's not ever going to destroy the earth again because of my worship. Wow, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I endured the flood, and I lived, and my family lived. And now... What am I going to do today? I don't know. I mean, pretty much anything you say seems insignificant. Oh, yeah, then there was the part where God said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful, multiply, basically restart the whole human race. That's not a tiny thing. Problem is Noah, well, Noah was kind of done with that part of his life. So that was more for his sons than for him. And Noah's kind of thinking, what do I do? Well, live life. But you know, that can be really difficult, can it? I mean, the truth is, just the mundane activities of life, just get up and go about that. Here's what he's going to do. He's had this incredible experience with God. He's, he's been called out as a man that has God's favor on him, and now his job is to get up and say, good morning, God. What do you want me to do today? I just want you to love me and love that dude that lives next door. It, like, can we change the world again? You want to bring another flood? I could build a boat. You know, I don't, I mean, you want to like call lightning down on everybody? I mean, nope. I just want you to love me. You love that guy. Go to bed. Get up tomorrow. We'll do it again. You know, sometimes it can be so routine. 
And the truth is, this is more dangerous than most things. As a pastor, I have walked through incredible crises with people. And they've come out the other side with their faith stronger. It's the day in, day out, every day. Seems like you're not doing anything all that significant. You might talk to a coworker about Jesus a little bit. You pray for him, and you, you just wonder if anything's ever changed. Just life is so mundane. I have watched people go through a crisis where someone has died way too early. I've watched someone go through bankruptcy. I've watched someone lose their marriage. I've watched someone go through a sickness the doctors couldn't do anything about. And in almost every single case, those people go through that crisis, they come out the other side, and their faith is stronger than it ever was. But then I watch people just have life. And life is more devastating than most anything else. See, here's what too many people have a great experience with God, and then they just, well, they just whatever. They just kind of go away. Maybe I've watched people go on a mission trip, and they get all fired up. They're all excited, you know. It's their first mission trip, and they can't wait to go to some foreign country because they believe God does more things in that country than he does here. I don't know how people always think. And they get over there and they pray for somebody and they're healed and they're just like, oh my gosh, God is real and God is amazing. And then they come back home and then they've got another semester of school and they've just got more papers to write, more exams to study for, and they don't have time to read their Bible. And well, nobody at school wants them to pray for them. And next thing you know, they, they're not even really talking about God much anymore. I mean, they wouldn't renounce him, but it's just not. I've watched people say, I believe I'm called to full-time ministry. I think God wants to use me to, to preach or to, to lead in the church or to do something. And so I watched them begin to serve in those ways. They say, I, I need to learn to preach. And so they join the youth ministry so they can, they can preach a little bit. And, and then they ask me, can I preach a little? Can I speak over communion? Can I do a little something? They just start serving in every way that they can, trying to find any place where they can learn what God would do with them. But the problem is you got to still feed your family. So they get this little part-time job on the side. And inevitably, every time I've watched, this is just for free. Whenever you say, man, God, I'm going to come after you, the world says, but wait, I got something for you. And the boss at that part-time job says, you're really good. You're really good. Hey, could you work a few extra hours and we could give you a little extra promotion in there? Oh, well, you know, that would that'd probably give me more time and, and the ability to serve God because I'd have a little extra money. And Well, eventually they start climbing the wrong ladder. And, and then someday they just say, well, you know, I, I thought, there was a day I thought God was calling me, but I'm not so sure anymore. And well, it'd be tough now that I'm the general manager over here and making whatever. I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen people get saved and baptized and just on fire for God. And they're, they're the first ones in the room because they don't want to miss a bit of the song that's singing. And they've got their hands up and they're as excited as they can be. And God is just doing amazing things. They're reading their Bible every day and they're telling their friends about Jesus they just met. And it's, it's just amazing. But then just life. Maybe they do just one thing. Just one thing. One Noah moment. You know what I'm saying? One naked Noah moment. And then they're too ashamed to show their face in a church or they're too ashamed to tell their friends what they've done or more importantly, they're, they're just too ashamed to be around God. There's a young lady who used to sit right there every Sunday. And she was that story, man. She, she had struggled with addiction. She'd come out of a broken family. She just 
she could not have had a, a worse time before meeting Jesus. And her life was just like the lights came on. And she was just as excited for her faith as she could ever be. And every Sunday I'd look, and she's right there. And she's just on fire. And then she had a Noah moment. And her friends knew about it. God knew about it. Well, she just thought she was, well, she thought she was just back to being no good. And as much as people tried to reach out, she just felt so much shame. She didn't want to be around God anymore. Still to this day, I mean, this was years ago. Still to this day, I'll look over and wonder. Not there. We've got another story, just like a matter of fact, we've got so many stories that it's just sad. Another story of a, of a couple kind of struggling in their marriage, and so in their struggles in their marriage, they made so many mistakes that, well, they just didn't think they could show their face anymore. And even though my wife sees this wife almost weekly and, and, and still good friends and says, hey, you, you know, you, you're always welcome. And she says, yeah, I know, but I don't want to be around God. You see, it's those Noah moments of where we make a mistake and we've done something. And here's what I need you to hear. If you don't hear the rest of what I've got to say today, please take this one home. Don't let your greatest experience with God be in your past. Don't let your greatest experience with God be in your past. Don't let that missions trip that you went on two years ago be the highlight of your faith. Do not let that time where you and your spouse started reading the Bible together be the best moment. Don't let what you used to have that somehow trickled away with the busyness of mundane life, don't let your greatest faith experience with God be in your past. Because you can believe God for something better for your tomorrow. You can say, that mission trip was great. And, and I'm a little distracted right now with school, but I'm gonna believe you for, for a better trip in the future. I'm gonna believe you for something great. God, I remember in our marriage when we started praying together and that kind of stopped off, but I'm gonna believe you. Not only are we gonna start praying together, we're gonna start leading a small group together. God, I'm gonna believe you that our best story is tomorrow. Come on, somebody should be more excited about that. Don't let your greatest faith experience with God be in your past. Because unfortunately it was for Noah. And when Noah messed up, I want you to notice the people around him, how they responded, because there were two radically different responses to his mistake. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, Noah, and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. You see, when you first read that, that first sentence of, well, he saw his dad and went and told his brothers, it's almost like he's just saying, hey, guys, help. But we're going to see uh, in the story there is something underneath going on here. That's not actually what happened. What was happening when Ham saw his dad and he wanted to run and tell his brothers was there was a judgment against his dad that took place in his heart. He judged, and then he wanted to humiliate. Whereas his brothers said, no, no, we're going to protect and restore. And, and that's the choice you and I have every day. And matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this. You know, the struggle we have toward God in our own Noah moments, if we could learn how to treat people in their Noah moments, it'll change how we think God feels about us and ours. So this is really important that we get this piece of this because we have a choice. We can either be Ham, we can judge and humiliate, or we can be Shem and his brother, and we can protect and restore you see that 
the judging and humiliating usually is going to come out of one of two things. One is you've got some kind of relational problem with the person. This happens a lot in marriages where you're struggling, you've had a lot of fights, and man, the minute that person messes up, you're, you're right there. Oh, hey, everybody, look what they did. Look at them. Look, you know, I mean, because everybody's... I mean, I can just see Ham's state of mind. Like, well, Shem, you're the favored son, man. God, Noah loves everything you do. I tried to build the ark. I got a board crooked. He's all over me. Hey, the boat's going to sink with that board like that. Fix that board, Ham. You know I mean? That kind of... You know, and, and whatever I did just wasn't good enough. You can just imagine. Come on, if you're parents, you know there's one child. Somehow, no matter what you do, they just, they just interpret things differently. If you're a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. Somehow, there's just... There's, there's a relationship thing going on there with some adult in your life where you just don't feel, and, and I just, I think out of the three sons, somehow Ham just felt like he got a raw deal. And, and I think he was just excited to finally be able to say, how dare you? You spent your whole life calling me out, telling me what I've done wrong, telling me how I should be a better man, telling me how I should grow up, telling me how I shouldn't do that, telling me, telling me, t- and look at you laying there naked. That's what I could see happening in his heart. And so what is he going to do with that? Hey, everybody. There's a guy over here who been giving me a hard time. Look at him. You judge, you humiliate. If it's not out of a relational difficulty, it's because of your own sin. It might not have been a relational difficulty at all. Because what I see a lot of times in people is they just, they know, man, I've messed up. But this guy just messed up worse. And if I can call him out, nobody's going to mess with me. And so maybe Ham was just glad that Noah had messed up bigger. Either way, one of those two, and we do it those same two things, we're either glad that somebody has messed up that makes us look good, or we're glad somebody we have strife with has messed up because that still makes us look good, doesn't it? And so we judge them for what they've done, and we try to call them out in a way that, produces humiliation. But the other response could be what Shem did for his dad and Japheth, and that is to protect and restore. To protect and restore. Now, look, I want to make clear, I'm not talking about hiding sin. I don't believe they hid sin because we're about to read the next line. We're going to find out Noah found out what happened. And the only way Noah found out is if somebody told him after he woke up. So they weren't hiding. I don't think they were hiding at all. I think they were trying to protect trying to restore. I think there was a humility in their hearts that we'll get to in just a minute. So when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Now look, This is weird. Come on. This is weird. This guy is speaking blessing and curse over his kids for what has just happened. And and I just need you to do something for me so that we can get something good out of this story. I need you to set aside what you think of Noah's parenting skills right now. I mean, this is a little bit weird. And and let's be honest. Noah went for the jugular here. I mean, he, he did the deal because he didn't go after Ham. He went after Ham's son. That's how you really get somebody's attention. Because every parent in this room right now either will say or has said, if I could take that away from my kid, just put it on me. Every parent I've ever met, I'll take their sickness if they can be well. I'll take their difficulty. if They can, they can have my money. That they can, 
That's why we're such good enablers. We love too much because we will take our children's pain. And so Noah says, I'm going to speak this over your son. That'll get your attention. I think that backs up the whole relational struggle that isn't recorded in Scripture, but you can see what is happening there. Now, look, this is where we need to bring part three back into what we were talking about. You remember last week how we talked about what Noah did change the course of human history? And we asked the question, what impact might our choices have on other people? And, and this proves it once again because Ham's choice ended up being devastating centuries later. Over here you can see Shem. Eventually, one of his descendants was a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was the guy that God made the promise and said, I will have a people on the earth from you. And they were called Israel. And then Ham, well, he had a son named Canaan, and they went and settled in a land. And then later on, exactly what Noah spoke came true when God said, I'm giving the land of Canaan to my people Israel. Wow. What impact might our choices have on others? After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. That's the end of our story, everybody, which is why we've reached the end of our series with Noah. So he spent about 600 years walking with God, having favor, doing everything that God commanded, building the ark, going on the ark, enduring the flood, getting off, worshiping, and bringing about a new promise from God. And then he had about 350 years of retirement. I mean, come on, anybody's going to end up with a good golf game by the 350 years. I just hope if God does that to me, it's in the Caribbean. 350 years. But we've got one final lesson to learn from Noah, and that is even godly people mess up. All the great things that he did, but we still ended up with naked Noah, didn't we? So the question we're really going to ask ourselves here for part four is, how can we avoid messing up? How can we avoid messing up? And the first answer is, well, you can't always. You can't always, because look, nobody's perfect. You're not perfect, you'll never be perfect. And in our own strength, in our own smarts, and by what we determine alone, we're still gonna make some mistakes because we are imperfect people who need a savior. Okay, you guys understand that? Now that's not to say that that's permission for everything. That's just to say, we're just not going to be perfect. But we can, we can be godly. We can be godly. And there's a way that even when we're being godly, we can avoid some messing up. There's, there's a way that we can hopefully not end up, end up as a naked Noah. You know what I'm saying? And so the question, how can we avoid messing up? Well, there, there's a pretty good recipe for avoiding a lot of mistake and messing up and catastrophe and naked Noah days in our own lives. And it really comes down to just two things. God's grace. You ever heard the phrase, if not for the grace of God, there go I? That's just so true. You know, too often we look at somebody and go, what an idiot. Which basically means I'm smarter than you. I would never do that. We look at a mistake somebody's made, just go, man, they're, such, they're just fools. We need some humility. And I think that's what Shem and Japheth had. I think Shem and Japheth, I'm just going to, can I just add a little to the story? You decide if you want it. You don't have to keep it. I think they were just thinking, Dad's what? Oh, man, you know, not for the grace of God. I'd be right there with him. I mean, he makes some pretty good wine. 
It's the grace of God that told me to stop after the first glass. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Not for the grace of God there going. I, I could do anything if I didn't have the Holy Spirit saying, uh-uh. I could make any mistake if I didn't have the Holy Spirit going, nope. The humility that we need, that, that, and it goes with number two right here, God's wisdom. Check this out. We're all one decision from stupid. One of the best things I ever heard when I became a lead pastor, I was, I was at a thing and, and one, a very experienced pastor of a church of tens of thousands got up and he said, here's what I need you to know. If you want to actually still be a pastor at the end of your career, if you don't ever want to be on the front page for the wrong thing, I want you to remember one sentence. We're all one decision from stupid. Just one little, just one little, well, that'd be okay. One little flirtation. One little boundary squeezed a little. One little, just first date, that'll be okay in high school. Just one Look, the big one, look, no big one, because uh-uh, we see the big ones, we know what they are, we call them out. No, just one little decision because we don't have the humility of recognizing God's grace and we don't ask for his wisdom. Because what we need every day is to wake up and say, God, today I need your grace to help me do what I will not get right on my own. And I need your wisdom to point right from left because I don't know. God, I need your grace and I need your wisdom to keep me from having a naked Noah day. Put that on your refrigerator. <laughs> That'd be great. All your guests, what's a naked Noah day? You get to preach. It'll be awesome. But we need to wake up every day and say, God, I need your grace. Because if it weren't for your grace, I could do anything any other sinner does. Because I am one too. It's not my goodness that makes me do what I do. It is the grace of God in my life put together with wisdom, which, by the way, is really just part of his grace. Wisdom comes from his grace. It's his grace that allows us to have his wisdom. But his wisdom is what we need at any moment that says, "Uh uh-uh, because we're that decision from stupid. Uh Uh-uh. We need his grace, and we need his wisdom. So I want to close with a very, very important truth. As we've said, yes, even godly people mess up. And when this happens... The enemy wants you to think that God rejects you. The enemy wants you to think God doesn't love you. You just messed up. But catch this. At Noah's worst moment, naked Noah, he gets up and he finds a robe and he goes outside the tent and he says, Cursed be Canaan! Did you notice this? At Noah's worst moment, God was with him. God fulfilled his words over the coming centuries. God was with Noah when he was naked Noah. You see, that's the truth we need today. Because ever since the garden with Adam and Eve, the minute somebody figures out they do something wrong, they hide and they run from God. And we've been copying them for a millennia. And it's what we do. Because what the enemy wants you to think is, you messed up, God couldn't love you. You messed up, God rejects you. But you want to know some truth? Romans says this, but God shows his love for us that in while 
we were sinners. Before we ever pursued him, before we ever said, thank you, God, for saving me, before we ever said, God, I need you, before, the truth is, before we were, thousands of years before we were, God sent his son to die for us. You can't mess up any worse than the fact you aren't even allowed to mess up yet. You know what I'm saying? Second Timothy says, when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't stop being who he is. John 3 says that God so loved the world, the world that rejected him, the world that has turned against him, the world that was so bad he had to wipe it all out and use Noah just to keep alive, the world that he has put up with time and time again because he promised Noah he'd never wipe it out again. He loved that world that was so messed up that he sent his son to die. That's the truth about our God. That's our God. Our God doesn't sit in heaven and go, oh, you messed up. No, that's what the enemy wants us to think. And the enemy wants you on your Noah day, and you'll have one. He wants you to run and hide. Look, we need to try to do our best to be like Noah. Let's walk with God. We want God's favor. Let's do whatever God asks of us, no matter how foolish it is. Let's worship in a way that brings a response from God. Let's do it all. But when we have a naked Noah day, when we have our worst moments, turn to God. Don't run from him. Turn to God. Because he loves you the same. He loves you the same. Because he loved you as much as he ever could before you even tried to get anything right. God loves you, even on your naked Noah moment. We're gonna end very differently today. The reason is because I believe everybody here has had a naked Noah moment. Many of you are, are feeling the shame of it right now just because it's come to your mind as I've been talking. And so today we're not just going to sing a song and grab our stuff and run off to Moe's. I'm actually gonna ask you to be patient here. We're gonna, we're ahead of schedule, so we're okay. Because we timed it for this. I wanna just take a moment and allow you to respond to God and, and for me to pray over every person in the room. And, and before we leave, my hope is that we're gonna be a little more encouraged and, and a little more filled with God's grace and his love. And, and that some, some shackles of accusation and condemnation are just gonna fall on the floors right where we stand right now. Can I pray for you? I'm gonna encourage you to do this. Just reach out your hands like you're expecting God to give you something. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you are a good, good God. We thank you that the enemy's words about you are not true. We thank you that what the enemy wants us to believe about you is not true. We thank you that when we have messed up, you love us the same. God, I pray for every person in here right now, whatever our moment is or was, or even if it was many times. God, I pray right now, the shame will be broken in the name of Jesus. I pray right now, the condemnation and the accusation will be broken in the name of Jesus. I pray right now that simply by the work of your Holy Spirit, that people, everyone, will feel the touch of your grace and your love 
overwhelming our hearts, filling our souls. God, we need you in this place today. God, we, we cannot be perfect. We are not perfect. We will have a naked Noah moment. And God, right now I ask you, cause us to love you and to turn to you. Cause us to feel and experience your love and your grace at our worst moments. Let us not feed into the condemnation that the enemy would speak. For those of you that have never made Jesus your king, you've never called him Lord and Savior, you've whatever terminology you want to put on that, and there's a disconnect because the Bible says the blood of Jesus, because he died for us, his blood washed us white as snow. And you struggle to feel like you're white as snow, like your soul is clean because what you haven't accepted what Jesus did on the cross for you. If you've never done that, I just want you to continue praying and right now say to God, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today that you give me a life of great meaning and great purpose. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.